Wednesday night, I said a couple things. I said, first of all, I said, uh, I said something about listening to young preachers and how you need to listen to the fathers in the faith and, instead of the sons. What did you mean by that? Don't listen to young... No, I never said that. What I meant was you can listen to Jeremy Pearsons, for example, and miss what his father George teaches or his mother, and then go back to the grandfather, Kenneth Copeland. But here, if you're here and, and, and you don't know Kenneth E. Hagen, Kenneth E. Hagen Sr., if you don't know him, you need to get a hold of all of his teaching. No, no, in my generation, our generation, come on, give me some help here. <laughs> He's the best preacher, teacher, mover in the Holy Ghost. Lots, there's lots of good teachers out there, and I guarantee you a lot of the people that you're listening to now got it from him. You know, so why why not just go to the source? I mentioned Lester Sumerall and how he wrote 75 or 80 books while he was alive. Well, the guy rocked the world while he was alive, and you need to know about him. You know, you need to get a hold of some of these guys because some of these young guys will come and they will go. They'll be like a shooting star, and you wonder where they went because they didn't have the depth. And then I mentioned music, praise and worship. So we'll be passing out the hymn books later this morning. <laughs> That's not what I said. I happen to know from being in straight talk for ministers over the years that some of the people that were making a lot of the praise and worship music were going out and getting drunk after the service. Is that really, you, you think you're going to get some depth in, in a lot of that stuff? No, I mean, years later, a lot of it's been exposed. But what I'm saying is, be, be careful what you... And, and look to the fathers because, because I'm not saying look to me because I'm not your father. Well, I guess I am. But I'm, what I'm saying is there are people with proven track records there that you can get some depth from. Like we had Jen Tringle in our church, and we loved her teaching. But, but, but we also had Vicki Jameson Peterson in our church before she went to heaven. And if you haven't watched any of her stuff, I mean, it's old. But it's new. It's revolutionary. It's like everything that the church needs today. And so when I think about Jubilee year uh, uh, 2017 and everything going to reset, well, we've seen what's happened in the media. The reset, you know, we've gone back to a pagan society. In the re but the good news is the church got reset as well, and we're going back to the book of Acts. And so you need, to know, you need to know what's in the book of Acts and realize that that was the early rain and the latter rain is being poured out now. You also need to know that 2020, why are we preaching Exodus 2020 and, and uh, Chronicles 2020? Because this is, well, Bill Winston, if you don't know who Bill Winston is, get a hold of his teachings. The man is awesome. He can get you out of debt and show you how to prosper financially as well, you know, as well as inject you with... Uh, inoculate you, if you will, with faith so that you don't need to be running out to drink the Kool-Aid for the, the free flu shots and all the junk that they got out there now. Hey, if it's free, don't you wonder? Huh? When does the world ever give you anything for free? Right? So, you know, I'm just saying it's time to be alert and it's time to be awake and it's time to stop listening to the media to discern who's who and what's what. Go to the prophets. The prophets are prophesying right now. They're prophesying over leadership and over what's going on in the nations. And, and so you can't just base your opinion on some dumb talking head on television. Full of No, no. It's kind of like the story I heard about a lion that ate a bull. He ate the whole bull. But then he felt so good about it, he began to roar. <sighs> Finally, a hunter heard him and shot him. Moral of the story, when you're full of bowl, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> no, that's the media today. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says that, you know, you know, he says, believe God and be established. Believe the prophet and you will prosper. So when you get a prophecy, act on it and it'll work for you. There's prophecy, there's legitimate well-known prophets today that are prophesying over this next decade that this is the beginning year of the pouring out of God's glory and the restoration of all things. Well, that's good to know. 
they also prophesied that Donald Trump is in the White House because God put him there. Why would he do such a thing? He needed the embassy moved to Jerusalem. He needed Jerusalem to be like you don't ever think that you're going to separate the church and Israel. The Bible says he tore down the middle partition and putting us all together. And it's our job, you know, he said, pray for Jerusalem. You pray for, pray for peace and all of that. So, so those kind of, and I, when I said that God put Donald Trump in the White House, I didn't say he put Billy Graham in the White House. How's he living his life? Well, I know he has a past, but I can interview some of you as well. Right. <laughs> if we're going to judge somebody on their past, let's check yours. Yes. <laughs> no, there's good things happening. I'm not saying... I'm just saying, know what your Bible says. Your Bible prophesied Donald Trump being in the White House. Can you show that to me? Yeah, but not this morning. This morning I want to talk to you about something else altogether. But I was just putting in a disclaimer for Thursday night because I... Because I... <laughs> because I... I listen to young preachers. And I enjoy them, but I always go back to where they got it from. Right? Go to the root. Drink from the river. Go to the source. Go to the headwater where it's coming out. Go, go to the spot where the glory pours out. Amen. But for today, let's turn to Mark chapter 2. And I'm in Hebrew, so I'm in the wrong place already. How about Mark chapter yeah, two, chapter 2. Verse 23. Now, our text that we've been looking at, our text that we've been looking at, we've been looking, again, at Exodus twenty twenty. Fear God, and you've got nothing left to fear, and it's not about being scared of God because you can't have a relationship with somebody that you're afraid of. He's talking about reverence. It's about being in awe of God. I know he's our dad and Papa God and all that stuff, but I don't try to get flippant with him. You know, he's still the creator of the universe, and I'm Gary. <laughs> he's big G, and I'm little G. <laughs> right? So, you know, you don't forget those things. And, and then again, Chronicles 20, 20, if you believe him, you'll be established, and you need to believe the prophet to prosper. And so, you know, and I didn't know that. For years, I didn't know that. I had some great prophecies over this church and over my life. I have a file about that thick in my, in my filing cabinet of things that I waited to see if they would come to pass, and they didn't. Why? Because I was waiting to see instead of acting on them. So, you know, so I finally woke up, but you don't have to wait that long. When you hear something, say, that's mine. That's mine. I, I take that now. If God's pouring his glory out this year, the beginning of God's glory being poured out, it's going to be on me. <laughs> I am enough. I qualify. Amen. And then, and then we looked at Colossians 2, 9 and 10 because so many Christians don't know who they are. And Colossians 2, 9 says that Jesus is the head of all principality and power. Right? Jesus is the head of all principality and power. And then verse 10 says, and you are complete in him. So you might look at all your imperfections, but God looks and says, you're complete in me. That's why he would say in Ephesians 1, 3, I've already blessed you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Well, I don't see them. Well, you better start. Because in the next verse, he said, I chose you in me from before the foundation of the world. Just like Adam. Adam was created, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, God spoke life into him. And he was born on the sixth day, created for the Sabbath day. The day he was created is the day that he entered into God's rest. And the evening and the morning was the first, the last is the sixth day. Come on. He was created to enter into God's rest, and so were you. Then we looked at Luke 12 and verse 32, because that's key for this year as well. Fear not. Whenever God comes to meet with you, the first thing that he'll say to you is, don't be afraid. Why? Because it's your natural. No, no, no. When God really shows up, I'm not talking about I had that nice feeling in church. I mean, those times when you hear his voice and you're not even sure, was that audible? Because it was loud. 
And, you, and, and, and it's, whenever I get that, whenever I experience that, John, the first words out of my mouth is, God, please forgive me. I'm not even aware that I did anything wrong, but he's so holy that my response is, God, please forgive me. So, so he says in Luke 12, 22, fear not. Why? Because it's my good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Romans 14, 17 is a good part of it. The kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are two different things. He said, the kingdom of God is righteousness. I took your sin and made you righteous. Peace. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Peace in the Holy Ghost. And joy in the Holy Ghost. And you need that joy because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you've got no joy today, you've got no strength. But the joy is on the inside of you and it's not an emotion. <laughs> it's out of the kingdom and you have to stir it up. Sometimes I think people think I'm trying to create a circus here. When they're talking about running around the building or things like that. I'm not trying to create a circus. I'm trying to get you free. Free of what other people think about you and celebrating the presence of God saying, David, come on, David, think about King David. We know about his, his fall. How many of you know that he fell? He murdered a man and stole his wife. And out of that adulterous situation, Solomon was born the greatest king that ever lived because God's a forgiving God. But I mean, David, the Bible says about David, Acts 13, 22 says, a man after God's own heart. What was that? The Bible says that he danced before the Lord with all of his might. He threw off his outer garments and he got ugly for Jesus to the point where it created a stir in the family. But he didn't care because his, what God thought about of him was way more important than what other people thought about him. Hallelujah. When people are jumping up and down and dancing for the Lord, either join them, but don't judge them. Right. Realize that they're having a, a, a more intimate relationship with God than you are. <laughs> and get after it. Amen. So it's not about running and jumping, but I mean, even in Acts chapter 3, the, the blind guy was at the gate for 40 years. Jesus walked by him a bunch of times. A bunch of times, every time he went to the temple, that guy was sitting there begging. Jesus didn't pray for him, but there came a day. Peter came up and said, I just came back from another one of my fishing trips, and I don't have anything, silver or gold or anything. It was another one just like the one when I first met Jesus. It ended that way, too. I fished all night and caught nothing. But he said, such as I have, I got something you got something. You, you are enough. You're waiting for God to do something else in you to make you enough. You're enough right now. You're enough right now. You're waiting for some preacher to do something in the church. It's time for you to do something in the church. Time for you to get up out of your seat and go lay hands on somebody and see them recover. Time for you to get up and prophesy. I'm telling you, it's time for the gifts of spirit to begin to operate in the church. Amen? But anyway, they prayed for this guy. And the Bible says he went running and leaping and praising God. Well, that wouldn't be acceptable in a lot of churches today. We don't want the Holy Ghost in here. The Holy Ghost is God. What are you saying? You don't want the Holy Ghost in church. Crazy people. We want you. Have your way in here. You know, in Acts chapter 2, they tumbled out of the upper room, 120 of them. They stumbled out onto the street. They staggered out onto the street, and people said, look at them, they're all drunk. And Peter said, yeah, they are drunk, but not as you suppose. They got full of the Holy Ghost, and they don't care what you think about them anymore. They used to hide in the upper room, but they're not hiding anymore from your ugly self. They're free in Jesus. And they got out, and they acted out what they were feeling. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was joy unspeakable. Peter said, this is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Yeah. He said, you haven't even seen them, but you believe it. It's joy unspeakable. Well, you know, are we believers or make-believers? Because I don't see a lot of joy in church anywhere. Looks like I've been baptized in pickle juice most of the time. <laughs> yeah. 
In my presence is fullness of joy. At my right hand, pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. I got it in my hands, I got it in my feet, I got it in my bones, and I got it all over me. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 So Jesus did things to provoke people. And so we'll look here in Mark chapter 2, and verse 23. It says, It came to pass when they went through the cornfields, they were barley fields, on the Sabbath day. His disciples began, and as they went, they began to pluck the ears. And, and you can actually go in the field and rub it off and eat it. I did it when I was over there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But the Pharisees said unto him, <laughs> The Pharisees will say that unto you too. Swell right up like a bullfrog and tell you what they think. <laughs> well, bless God, that's not the way we did it in our church. We're not in your church right now. We're in ours, okay? So, <laughs> Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? Hallelujah. <laughs> no, but can't you see them? Can't you see that pickle face looking right at you? I can't believe that you would act like that in church. David said, you think this is something, wait till you see me tomorrow. That's what he said to Michael, his wife. He said, you think this is something, this is nothing. I'm just getting started in this deal. Hallelujah. I, I got to a place where I don't care anymore. It's not careless, it's carefree. Carefree is good. Not in it to please anybody, just wanting to please God. And some people will like it. <laughs> He, Jesus said unto them, have you not read what David said when he had a need? He was hungry, and, and those that were with him, how he went in the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but the priest, and he gave it to them, and they all had a good meal, right? But here's, here's the verse right here. This verse right here. He said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And in Judaism, it's like this. When I was there a few years ago, I was really close to one of the synagogues. And um, one, and, and just down from the police station near the Jaffa Gate is where my hotel was. It was, it's actually, it was where Herod's Hanging Gardens were too. It's an old, old, couple thousand year old hotel, but it's beautiful to be there. Anyway, um, it was the Shabbat, Sabbath, from 6 o'clock Friday night to 6 o'clock Saturday night. At 5.30, this guy with the long curls and, you know, dressed up in the garb, was walking down past the police station, and somebody yelled out a window at him and said, Hey, you dog. Called him a dog because he was a half hour early getting out on the street and, and disobeyed the Sabbath. But this is what they, what, what, what God created the Sabbath for was to train you to do Hebrews 4.11, to labor to enter into his rest. He said, I got to teach you that you can rest in me, that you don't have to work seven days a week to get the deal done, that I can take care of you. That's why when he created Adam, he, he created him and marched him right into the seventh day. Now think about Adam and think about your own life. Adam didn't have to get up in the morning and do anything. It was all there. Everything that he needed was already provided until he committed high treason. Then the thorns came, but Jesus took a crown of thorns on his head to undo that. And then he says, you'll live by the sweat of your brow, but Jesus got in the garden of Gethsemane and even the blood came out, the capillaries, he bled out in his sweat to redeem you from that. So what he's saying is, He's really saying what he said to Zechariah. It's not by might, it's not by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord. Like he said, I want you to, I don't want you stressed, I want you rested. Say, no stress. Amen. So he says, uh, it's not the Lord's day, it's your day. Now think about all the religious things you've seen concerning the Sabbath. A guy that wouldn't run in a race because it was the Sabbath day, chariots or something or whatever. And it's, it's honorable that he's honoring God, but it's also wrong. Colossians chapter 2 even says not to, not to put one day above another day. And it's like I mentioned on Thursday night that I had a visitation from an angel. But you know what? The Bible also tells us in Colossians chapter 2 not to pay much attention to that because you start looking for them and you might get the wrong ones manifesting themselves. <laughs> We're looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. So we're not looking for those things, but we're expecting that because of the filth that's been released in the earth, that the angel, and remember, the fallen angels were one third of God, what God had. Throughout number two to one without you and without God. So that big, that big devil that you see in all these horror movies, I laugh at that. I'm saying, you're just, trying to, you're just trying to make yourself look bad. And I read Isaiah 14. I'm going to narrowly look upon you and consider you and say, are you kidding me? That little jerk caused all this trouble. Read Isaiah 14. That's exactly what it says. He said, well, narrowly look upon you and say, you the jerk that caused all this trouble? I can't believe it was you. I thought you were so much bigger than that. Ha ha. Ha ha and the devil. Great big God, little bitty devil. How about that? So, but I just want to read into chapter 3 a little bit here, Mark. And he entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. Notice it didn't say he was the withered man, hand man. No, this is a difference. He didn't identify with it. My diabetes, my this, my that, my, my, my. No, it's not yours. Salesman trying to sell it to you, but you want to buy it? How do you buy it? By saying it's mine. Well, what am I going to do about my high blood pressure? Not yours. Don't accept it. Fight it. What do you think he meant when he said to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life? In other words, resist those lying symptoms, those false things. If God could kill you, he'd kill you right now where you sit. Not God, rather, but the devil. Well, no, even better than that, if God could kill you now. God can't kill. This may shock you. But God has the power to kill you, but he doesn't have permission. And when he signed this earth lease with Adam for 6,000 years, Adam took that lease and turned it over to Satan. That's why Satan, when he's tempted in Matthew chapter 4, he says to Jesus, if you'll just bow down here right now, you won't have to go to the cross. I'll give it to you right now. He said, it's mine to give. How did he get it? From Adam. So there's a 6,000-year earth lease on this planet that Satan is in charge of. He doesn't know in the world, the earth, is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But this cosmos, this world system, he's the prince of the power of the air, the, the, the one that works in the children of disobedience. So, so who has the power over my life? Well, I know Psalm 91.11 says, with long life. I, no, it's not, Psalm 91.16, somewhere. With long life, I will satisfy you. How, how many of you are satisfied yet? Then go for the whole deal, right? But know this. That, that the Lord said in Proverbs 18, 20, and 21, life and death, life and death. He didn't say life and death are in my power. He said life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit of the bears, whether it's good or bad. In other words, what's coming out of your mouth is either going to make you live long or kill you. And you've got lots of opportunities to say the wrong thing. That's why he said in Isaiah 53, whose report are you going to believe? The doctor's report? Thank God for doctors. They help a lot of people. I'm not down on doctors. But Isaiah said, if you'll believe my report, he said, you'll see the arm of the Lord, the strength of the Lord revealed in your life. He said in Corinthians 4.18, the things that you look on are temporal, subject to change. So there's true, but there's a fact, but it's not the truth. The eternal truth is by the stripes of Jesus, you were, Peter 2.24 says, healed and made whole. 
What do I got to do to attain that? Believe it. What does believe mean? Act like it's true. What do you think Candace did up here today? She was dealing with this on Thursday. She could have stayed home, got somebody else to do it, but that's not how you beat the devil. That's how you stay in bed longer and get sick longer. This is a fight, man. I mean, what Marion went through just over this past year. I'm telling you, if she didn't know who God is, and if she didn't have the word in her, we'd have been to her funeral a year ago. Bob Ring. We'd have been to your funeral several times over several years for several different reasons. Even tried to saw his arm off with a chainsaw. I mean, come on. Diane's calling. I'm in the ambulance. Yeah, Bobby cut his arm with a chainsaw. Please pray. <laughs> I'm thinking I don't need the details this time. It's cool. They told him he'd never be able to eat again, never have saliva glands or all that kind of stuff. And, and I said, Bob, we're going to go to the Micmac beverage room and have a steak. And we did. It was awesome. Why? Because you fight. Gerald Roy, I couldn't even tell you all his stories. <laughs> There's a new one every year. How <laughs> he dodged the bullet again. <laughs> okay, chapter 3. He entered into the synagogue. There was a guy there that had a withered hand. But again, he was not the withered hand man. He was the man with a withered hand, and there's a big difference. And he said unto the man with the withered hand, Stand up. He said unto him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they shut up. They held their peace. It was, the question was too deep for them. And when he had looked around about them with what? You want to know what gets God angry? Religious stuff shirts. Religious judges. He looked around at those pious people. All swelled up. Well, that's not the way we teach it in our denomination. <laughs> denomination, death, death, demolition. Boom. Boom. There goes another denomination. Boom. There goes another one. Blow them all up, God. Be nice, Gary. Okay. So he looked upon them with anger, and he was grieved because of the hardness of their hearts. He said unto the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Restored whole. God wants you restored whole. No, no, 2020. Think about 2020, 2020 vision. Think about total restoration for everything in your life. And then, and then, and then act like it's true. Don't wait until it manifests, because then you don't need faith. If I can see it, faith is not required. But my Bible says that I have evidence that's not yet seen. Where's the evidence? Right in here or in the prophet's mouth. That's the only evidence I need. And then I begin to look at it until I can see it. And when I can see it in myself, then it'll manifest in the natural. When I can begin, whatever I'm believing God for, when I begin to see it, it's mine. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and they shall be, period. Believe you receive them and they shall be. They shall be. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. In Mark 9, 23, he said, nothing is impossible to him that believeth. Nothing. There's not an impossible thing. Hallelujah. That's good news. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 1 for a second. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man, how? Yeah, a dog has puppies. A dog doesn't have kittens. God has offspring. They're sons and daughters. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them, he didn't notice he didn't say let us. He said let them dominate their environment. Let them, let them rule, dominate, dominion. Let them have dominion over their lives. And, of course, we know that Adam lost that dominion. But I read my Bible, Romans 5.17 says, I received the gift of righteousness. 
God's grace and the gift of righteousness, and I reign in this life by one Christ Jesus. So once Adam lost his right, Jesus came and bought it back. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then Hebrews 2.10 says, the captain of our salvation restored us back to glory, back to his original intent. And his original intent is for you to live in the Sabbath, a place of rest. That's why he had the priests wear linen garments, no sweat. He doesn't want you sweating. I didn't say he doesn't want you working. I'm saying that work is not your source. Seed is your source. Well, Genesis 8:22, as long as the earth remains. Seed time, harvest time. Seed time, harvest time. Plant a seed, get a crop. Plant a seed, get a crop. Just like we talked about on Thursday night in John chapter 6, the disciples began to pass out the bread, the fish and the loaves, and every time they passed it out, it multiplied back into their hands. If they had kept it and ate it, no one would have got a thing. That's what people do with their tithes and offerings. I wonder why it's not flowing. It's not flowing until you give. For God so loved that he gave. What did he give? He gave his only. He gave his very best. What does he expect for me to do? Well, Ephesians 5.1 says that I'm to mimic him. I'm to operate like he does. So I'm a giver. I'm looking for a place to give. And the more I give, it's given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Do men give into my bosom? But the more I hang on, the more I squeeze it, the less it gets to be. It's a principle. It's a principle. It's one of the principles of God. And so you can plead the promises, but if you ignore the principles, it's not going to work for you. Well, I just don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. I'm telling you right now so you can know. Well, I'm afraid. Well, he told you not to be. You believe that he's going to split the sky someday and zap you up to heaven, but you don't believe him for your finances? Are you? Are you? Give your head a shake. I'll come shake it for you. No, I wouldn't do that. So he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And he blessed them. How did he bless them? By saying this. The blessing we know from studying the book of Genesis, the blessing comes like, like when, when Isaac blessed Jacob. He gave the words to Jacob and Esau came in later and said, don't you have anything for me? He said, I already spoke it over your brother. They understood the power of these words that we somehow have lost along the way. It's time to get it back. He said, I settled my word in heaven, and you can establish it here on the earth, right? So he said, uh, God blessed them by saying, this is his will for you, be fruitful and multiply. What happened to the disciples when they started passing out the loaves and the fishes? They were being fruitful, and they were multiplying. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And I always like to, I, I'm more conscious of replenishment now that I'm living an hour from the church. Now when I go to Costco, I don't forget anything. If it needs to be replenished, it better get replenished today. And I now have a pantry. Never ever had a pantry before. I got one now. Nothing's getting stocked up. Preparation. Right? So if you get hungry, you can come to my house. Because I'm a giver. <laughs> Hallelujah. The Bible says prepare for plenty prepare, prepare plenty for days of famine. So we, we, we do that, but but <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply and replenish. And I like the word replenish because it gives you the idea that something was there before. Before Adam came on the earth and before Eve came on the earth, there could it be that there was something here before. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. But I get the idea that you can't replenish something unless you've, unless you've taken the supply. I know we could argue and share scriptures all night. I don't want to do that. I just have my opinion. And when we get to heaven, God will show you that I was right. Okay. <laughs> He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Well, lots of times our prayer life is wasted then because we're trying to get God to do what he gave us to do. 
Lord God, please fix this. No, no, you fix it. I've anointed you. You need the anointing. You can fix this. I'll, I'll show you. If you'll trust me, I'll guide you into all the truth. I'll take the things of the Word of God and give you revelation on them. You can walk this out. Amen. So he said, and, and, and subdue it and have dominion. And, and then I like that because it doesn't say over each other. Every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. No, verse, how about verse 31 of chapter 1? And God saw everything that he had made. Now, it, now, each time that he did something, he said that it was good until after he made man. And then he says, and behold, the evening and the morning was the first day. It was very good. He said he beheld that it was very good. Thus the heavens, were set, uh, heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he, was made, that he had made. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. What were the second last words that Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. I've taken you back. To my original intention. I bought the last Adam. Corinthians 15 calls him the last Adam. The last Adam came to restore you back to his original intention. So the Garden of Eden is not out there anymore. It's in here. And you read Matthew chapter 12 and he'll talk about the trees that you have. And, and you know, and then you get in the book of Hebrews and he'll say, don't let a root of bitterness grow up in you because it'll poison your harvest. And there's all kinds of things like that. But basically he's telling you, he's telling you, like he said in Mark 4, 14, the seed is the word of God. And when you plant the, the word of God in your heart, it will produce. On the other hand, if I hung around with Paul Wilson all the time and all he did was complain about everything that was going on in the world, which he never does, but if he did, that seed would get in me. That's why it's so dangerous watching the news. You get those seeds in you, and the next thing you know, you're talking about it to somebody else, and you haven't even met the people that you're talking about, but some talking head told you how to feel about somebody, and now you're going to broadcast it, Right? Well, then I'll tell you one thing. No, don't tell me anything. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Tell me scripture. Tell me about the goodness of God. Tell me what he's doing in your life. Yes, tell me what you're going through, but I'll remind you that you're going through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not building a house there. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't camp out. Keep moving. And it's, it's like that, that old song, if you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> right? If you're going through hell, don't stop. Who was that? Um, it was really good praise and worship back in the day. Ron Canoli. Where did all those guys go? Some of the stuff we're left if, with is not all that hallelujah. I don't know. You sing songs about the blood, I'm there. You sing scripture to me, I'm there. Tell me I want to lay back against you and breathe, I'm not there. Feel your heartbeat. No, I don't want to go there. <laughs> no, there was another one. What will I do when I see him? What was that one? Most of the people that sang that in this church are backslidden now. <laughs> no, because it's emotional. Let's, yeah, okay, I got you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. What will I say when I see him? What was that song? Never mind. <laughs> How about this one? Every time I think about Jesus, it makes me feel good. I mean, I like the blues riff in that song, but that's a stupid song. Okay. Good, good, good. I feel good now. What if you don't? I liked the song. I just didn't think it was a church praise and worship song, is what I'm saying. If you want to find Jesus and lay back against him and breathe and feel his heartbeat, have at it. <laughs> just don't expect me to participate. A man laying back against another man's chest and hearing him breathe and feeling his heartbeat doesn't turn me on. Okay, okay, Nancy's looking at me now. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> 
If you sing that and enjoy it, sing it with all your heart. If you look over and see me sitting down, I'm just ignoring you. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you have to love, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 1128. Jesus talking, if you get read in your Bible. He says, come on to me. All that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. See, really coming and learning about him is the secret to your life. Amen. He said, come unto me when you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find oh, rest for your souls. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the cool thing about being led by God. It's easy. When, when it gets tough, like when you see somebody that's angry all the time, I, I know what it is. It's somebody that knows what's right in their heart and they're doing something wrong in their head. And so the conflict is always there. There's always a conflict. You know what's right, but you're living a lie. When you know the truth. Like when, when I first got saved, man, I, I, I came into the kingdom of God and I was really strong for about a year. And then I backslid and I really did what the Bible says. I got seven times worse, but I couldn't enjoy it anymore. Because I knew the truth. And all of my drunken, druggy friends were having such a good time, and I was having such a miserable time. Because, because there, was a, there was that conflict in my spirit, right? So he said, come on to me. And that word come there, by the way, in the Greek, it's imperative. It's not a request. Okay? No, he's not saying, he's not saying, oh, come on now. He's saying, he, he's saying come now. Come on to me. He's, he's not the guy with the sheep on his shoulder right now. He's the guy with the scourge clearing the temple. Come. Come on to me. That's the secret. Come on to me. I'm a humble man, and I want to teach you about it. Come on to me. Come on to me, all that you're, you're, you're laboring and you're heavy laden. And heavy laden is the word. I'm going to give you the word in the Greek, and I'm going to try. It looks like fortizo, P-H-O-R-T-I-Z-O. And it's good if you've been a Pharisee because it means, it means liberation from legal demands. Or, it may, or maybe you've been trying your best to serve God, trying to do all the right things, and you got yourself exhausted. You're worn out from trying to be right because you don't know Colossians 2.10 that you are complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. You don't know Corinthians 15, 57 and 58, where he said to be, that, that he'd always give you the victory and that you could be steadfast and unmovable and abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor's not in vain. The work of the Lord is to enter into his rest. That's Hebrews 4.11. That's you entering into his rest. I've, when you enter into his rest, it's because you've ceased from your own works. Come on, I've been a Christian now for a long time. I watch people struggle and struggle and struggle trying to change themselves or to try to change, worse of all, trying to change somebody else. Give that up. If that's true, just, just give that up. You can't change you, let alone change somebody else. And no amount of preaching, it's only the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that gets you and leads you into all the truth. So he said, come on to me. When you're labor and you're heavy laden, and that laden is fortizo, and it means liberation from legal demands. And it may be something from your past that even now has lasting results. Like, like for example, if you had a father or a mother that was a taskmaster, and you're always working trying to please them, and, they, and you could never get there, that could be haunting you to this day. It could be a part of your makeup to this day. And Jesus is saying, if you'll come on to me when you're heavy laden, if you'll drop that out on me and take my yoke upon you, you'll find rest. How, how, will I know when I'm, how will I know when I'm walking with him? I'm in rest. I'm not trying. Come on, as a pastor of a church for 27, 28 years, I've had so many good ideas that I even initiated and then asked God about later. And really, you know, the secret to church growth, the secret to anything in the kingdom of God is let him do it. 
Well, I got him up with this program. No, no, you go to a pastor's conference and somebody's doing this, somebody's doing that. At one point in this city, there was a very successful man that had a bus ministry all over all, you know, in his church and the stage became very famous. And for a while, every church in the Metroplex area had a bus sitting in the parking lot. Some of them had the windows busted out because they sat there so long that, the, that the, you know, people went by and throwing rocks at them, <laughs> right? Because he told one man to buy a bus, the whole body of Christ went and got one. Well, somebody's got this plan for... They're, they're even teaching church growth seminars, right? Go and learn, learn how to grow your church. Well, here's the thing. I remember John Avanzini one time. He grew a church of like 2,500 people. He, he was a, a very intelligent business. He, he is. I'm assuming he's still alive. Built this big church. But at the end of the day, he realized he built it because of what he knew about corporate America. And so there was no reward in it. <laughs> it was like... It wasn't like, look what the Lord has done. Look what I did. What you did doesn't matter, man. It doesn't even count. It's matter of fact, when you know anything about the Bible, it's wood, hay, and stubble compared to precious things. It's something that burns up. So anyway, he's saying, he's saying, if you've had these legal demands that have had lasting results, I will give you, take my yoke upon you. For I am meek. I like the word meek because it's the word pros, P-R-A-U-S. And really, I mean, I know it means teachable and a bunch of other things. But really, when you get to the root of this word, it means to stand in the middle between two extremes. Like Jesus, Moses came and gave the law, but Jesus came to give grace and truth. Those are two extremes. The truth without grace is legalistic and, it'll, and, and, and you'll be under condemnation all the time. But grace without truth means it, it's kind of like driving down the highway and just driving on the other side of the road because there's no line. There's no borders. There's no boundaries. You need, how many of you know you need boundaries? How many of you know when you're raising children, they'll, they'll test them? Right, but that because they need to know how far they can go, and once they know how far they can go, they feel safe. And it's the same thing with this. And so when he's saying he's meek, he's saying I am that I'm in between those two extremes of grace and truth, and and I can and I can walk you through this so that you don't so that you don't do the New Year's resolution, that you do the New Year's revelation. You're not trying to change you anymore. You're hanging around the change agent. Amen? Okay. So take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And that word is anapoa, where you get the word to pause. And it really means the pause that refreshes. Right? He said, if you'll come to me, I'll refresh your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. He'll say to you, hey, your struggle is over. Turn to somebody and say, your struggle is over. You don't need to try to be who you already are. And you don't have to be your best version of somebody else. I wish that was more like, no, God made you individual. He gave you that personality. He, no, he gave you that personality. Even the parts that you might not like. Maybe you're impatient with people and patience in your patience, you possess your soul. But maybe there's that type of your personality where you need to get it done and people need to get out of your way. No, no, it needs to be tempered. But what I'm saying is lots of times we try to change who we are more than, than what we do. And, you, and you, you are enough. God made you individual, your own retina print, your own thumb, everything about you is an individual. So if you're a born and original, don't die a copy. Don't find somebody that you admire on TV. Or don't think you need a special brand to identify yourself. 
special clothing, special purses, special shoes, special this, special that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I wear Harley Davidson t-shirts, but I don't think I'm a Harley Davidson. <laughs> and I don't do it to make you think I'm a bad biker. I, I do it because I, because I like the shirts. Got one on right now. Are you saying that you're good and the rest of us aren't? No, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying, I'm saying, get your identification in Christ. He, God, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that you'd be made the righteousness of God in him. When you read that whole chapter, it's talking about, it's talking about you weren't redeemed with, with gold or silver or those kind of things because there wasn't enough gold, there wasn't enough silver on the planet to buy you. You had to be redeemed with something of equal value, and that was Jesus. Jesus can sit, read, read John chapter 17 over and over again until you get it. You're, you're of equal value. In God's economy, you're as equal to Jesus. I didn't say that. I said it's in John chapter 17. It wasn't Gary Hooper said you were equal. God said you were equal. Jesus was called the firstborn among many brethren, not, not servants. Think about the prodigal son. He's coming home to meet his father. Why is he going there? Because he knows there's provision there. He said, even my father's servants are doing better than I am. This is the way the church needs to be. People are going to need to come to church because there's provision there. There's something over there that I can't get out here. They're living better than I am. See, but the reason why the church hasn't lived better than the world is because we don't think we're any better. You're complete in him who's the head of all principality. He's already blessed you. He wants you to receive it. He wants you to receive from him. Why do you think the creator of the universe that owns everything created a family? So they could bless the family. So they could take all the supply that he's got and give it to you. With no strings attached. Not like Christmas. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's not God. I said, that's not God. That's Santa Claus. If God waited till we were good to bless us, none of us would even have got saved. He blesses you not because of your nature, but because of his. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, we better move on from here because um, we, got, we got another. Let's, let's just, what's that communion? Yeah, I know, but we need to go to Hebrews chapter 4 first. But thank you for helping me, darling. Oh, yeah, we're undoing everything we did on Thursday night, just <laughs> creeping out a little bit at a time. <laughs> now, I, I know whatever I put in comes out, so I have to be guard my heart with all diligence for out of it, full of the issues of life. I remember one time watching the movie Braveheart, and I think I preached on it for a month after that. Then I watched Jason Bourne, and I thought, Jason Bourne again. Oh, I got to do this. He had all these passports, but he didn't know who he was. He needed to know he was complete in Christ, who's the head of all principality and power. So he's going through all these passports, trying to figure out who he is. Matter of fact, he was even found floating on the water, half dead. Just like Adam, when he sinned, the Bible says that he was half dead. Just like the guy going down from Jerusalem to, Jer to Jericho. The, the, he, the Bible says that he fell among thieves and they left him half dead, spiritually dead. So Jason Bourne works. It works. And so does Braveheart, especially the scene where they moon Longshanks. <laughs> Every church has felt like that toward the devil. I, I just know that. <laughs> now I got that in your mind. I didn't mean to put that there. I didn't mean to put that there. Hmm? What's that? Hallelujah. Get back to Jason Bourne again. Forget Braveheart right now. He's Jason Bourne. Right <laughs> Trying to find his way. He's got all this. There's a, there was another one, too. It was uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. How many of you saw that movie? You need to go see that. It's God all the way through it. Like he gets, he gets uh, he, he's supposed to be the captain of a ship, but he gets kidnapped and thrown into a prison. And when he gets into the prison, the only way out is through the coffin of a dead man. And, and then, when, then when he gets to the beach, all he has is a map. All you have is a map to find out who you are. God gave you this map. Come on. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, 18, the Bible says they passed him the scroll of Isaiah, and he found the place where it was written about him. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he increased in wisdom and stature. 
He studied to show himself approved. He had to find himself in this book because he took on humanity. How do I find myself in this book? Matter of fact, James said it's a mirror. I look in the mirror. He said, you look in the mirror, the word of God, and then you walk away and forget what manner of man you are. You look in there and find out, I'm an heir with God and a joint heir with Jesus. And then you get out of the building and circumstances pop up and you forget all that. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? You're an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. You don't have to do anything. Stay hooked up, yoked up. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What are we going to do? Not what am I going to do? What are we going to do about this one, sir? You know what the doctor said? Yeah, God said, I knew it from before the foundation of the world. That's why I wrote the book for you. So that you'd know what to say when the doctor says. That's why he compared it with a courthouse. And you're sitting there on the you're sitting there on the stand and you're being accused by the the prosecutor. Blah 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 blah. What should I say? What should I say, sir? He said, tell him you're an heir of God. Tell him that in all things you're more than the conqueror through him that loves you. Tell him that greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Tell him if you're trying to charge me with a crime, it's double jeopardy because it was already laid upon Jesus. I'm innocent. Innocent. Yeah, but you don't know what he did. I'm innocent. How are you going to be tomorrow? Same. Innocent. Oh, yeah. Okay. My second, this will be my first closing. <laughs> Verse 14 of chapter 3. For we are partakers of Christ. If we hold fast. And when you think about Christ, think about the anointing. Christ means the anointed one and his anointing. So we are partakers of the anointed one and his anointing if we hold the beginning of our confidence uh, steadfast until the end. While it is said today, if you will harden not your hearts, as in the provocation where they provoked him in the wilderness, for some, when they had heard, they provoked, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom it was whom he was grieved 40 years, was it not those that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? Verse 18, to whom he swore that they would not enter into his rest. Now you need to know the rest of this story and we don't have time to get into it, but they said, would to God that we had died in this wilderness. They provoked him for 40 years and that at the end of that 40 years, he said, okay, as you've spoken into my ears, then fine, you can have that. It's kind of like when you read the story about Jacob and Rachel, and he says, he says to Laban, whoever stole your gods, let them die. And just a few months later, Rachel dies given childbirth, and Jacob realized, I killed my wife by the words of my mouth. And to whom it was said that they should not enter into his rest. But, but look at this. And that rest is, again, catapauses. See, but really, murmuring and complaining are expressions of doubt. That's what they are. And I found out that Abraham's faith really grew by his giving. <laughs> you know, he just, again, I'm not taking up another offering so you can be comfortable, but, but you need to know that Abraham became very rich with silver and gold, but look at his heart. Look at what he did for his nephew Lot and some of the things that he did. He said, Lot, whatever you want, you can have it, and I'll take what's left over. Now, that's a heart after God, right? But chapter 4 and verse 1, and when you read, let us therefore fear, you need to know that there was no chapter there originally. It was a continuation of the same thought that the, the translators put the chapter in later because you don't start a chapter by let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left to the entering his rest, any of you should f seem to fall short of it. And so I said, God, you told me not to be afraid, but I see now that there's something I need to be afraid of. I need to be afraid of being out of your presence. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so he's saying, let us therefore fear, lest we would fall short of entering into his rest. Entering into his rest. Having a balanced life. Entering into his rest. So let us fear lest we fail. I wrote in my margin. For unto us was this gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached to them did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. 
See, so shouting on Sunday and doing on Monday won't work. <laughs> oh, glory to God. And then I know Monday comes, and I know that we all have times when we need to respond, but we react instead. But God knows that too, and I'm so glad for his grace that goes with the truth. So when I don't get it right, I go to his grace because he tells me in Hebrews that later on this chapter, verse 16, that I can come boldly onto the throne room of grace to obtain mercy for my dumbness. Mercy and grace to help me in a time of need, not when I've got it all together when I'm slicked back on Sunday, but when I need it on Thursday or Wednesday, I, I can come boldly. Not ashamedly, not hat in my hand like I'm going to get a loan. I remember when we first started going to the bank to borrow money, God help us. I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about me individually. You know, they, they made you feel like they were doing you a favor. No, no, they, even the chair behind the, 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 the guy's desk is higher than yours on purpose. And so now the guy's already looking down at you and you got your hat in your hand thinking, oh God. That's not God. It's like, hey, Father, I'm here. I don't, I, I, I'm here acknowledging what you already know. <laughs> I know you're not surprised how I blew it, but I'm here to acknowledge you, and I'm here calling for your mercy and grace because I really need it right now. I, I got off of the spirit and got over into the flesh, and I wasn't doing things the way I ought to do them. Now I'm back over in the spirit because I come walking right into your throne room. Hallelujah. Verse five, verse three, we'll, we'll pick this up again later, but I'm going to stop here in verse three. For we which have believed do enter into rest. You stop right there. How will I know when I'm believing? I'm resting. Like on Thursday night, for example, when we started talking to Rich about getting married on the 29th of February instead of the 16th, because you only have your anniversary every four years, and that's a good deal. I, he wasn't sure about it at first, but he texted me earlier this morning and said, the 29th is a go. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> yeah, but don't you think that's a good idea, Paul? I mean, you know, it's a leap year, so you're sure not to forget, right? Hallelujah. And then because it's a leap year, you can really go overboard because you didn't do anything for three years before that. Buy her a car, Richard. Tell her if you can get married on a leap year, you buy her a car in the fourth year. I mean, who knows? Jesus might be back by then. It's worth a shot. <laughs> Hallelujah. In his presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. We're going to do communion here. I just remembered. <laughs> As I was walking over here, I didn't see it set up, but I was going to do something different. But if you're here, before we do communion, if you're here and you need prayer for something, we'd like to pray with you. And I don't know who was scheduled to do communion, but I'd like Bob and Diane to, to do the emblems this morning while they're here. We honor them. We think they're legendary. No, no, anybody can pastor a church, a large church. Well, anybody can. But can you go and pull out stumps? I remember one time my friend Steve Party, who's gone home to be with the Lord, he had a big praise and worship team. And one Sunday they didn't show up at church. He got out a stool and a pair of spoons and led praise and worship. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... Nothing going to make me stop. Nothing going to make me quit. If I got one nostril out of the water, it's saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is. So if you need prayer, you could come quickly. And if not, we're going to move right into communion. But we don't pass prayer up. He's here. He said in Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. Today, today, and forever. 
He came to Moses when Moses was 80 years old and said, Moses, the best is yet to be. What? He said, well, when you were 40, you tried to do it your own way, and you cost me 40 years. I told you you were going to deliver the people, and then you went right out and worked in the flesh instead of entering into the Sabbath. Over in the Sabbath. What should I say? Moses said, tell them I am. Moses, just tell them I am. I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. I'm going to pull you out of that mess, Moses, and three million people with you. And when you take communion, they took communion in Exodus chapter 12. They ate the body, the lamb, which represented Jesus, and they took the blood in the hyssop, and they struck the lintel in the doorpost, made the sign of the cross, and the death angel passed over them. And in Psalm 105 and verse 37, it says, they went out with silver and gold, and there wasn't a feeble one amongst them. These guys were in slavery for 400 years. There were people with broken down backs. You talk about chiropractors. There were people there that, that were just all busted up and whipped and beaten and bruised. And the Bible says that when they took communion, they stayed in the house and took communion and they were led out with silver and gold, all the provision they needed. And there wasn't, can you imagine a group of slaves and not a sick one in the whole crowd? What? And that's the old covenant in Hebrews 8, 6. It says, I have a new covenant established on better promises and I'm dealing with sickness. Why? It's because they don't understand communion. If I understand communion, I eat that matzah, I'm taking his body into me. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.